Uh, it does show dedication when you're here. We know those that aren't here this evening because there can't be, literally, physically. So, anyway, thank you. If you would, turn over to Exodus chapter 4. trying to think of how to best say this without offending because that's the last thing I want to do but something that's been on my heart a lot lately and I think it's probably on everyone's heart and I'm not just saying this because this particular body is small in number but most of the churches we know are small in number and we see them dwindling and so what's been on my heart a lot lately is how do we change that well, first, obviously, we got to change us, whatever church you're a part of, whatever church you're trying to lead, as myself and Brother Tyler's case. But it also means we have to open our mouth to those we're around. You know, contrary to popular belief, it's not the pastor's job to bring people in. It is his job in the sense that he's a member of the church, just like each and every one of you. But it's everyone's job. We're all ministers. There is one pastor, but as we're going to look at some scriptures, everyone as a member of the Lord's body is a minister. There are prophet. Prophecy is the speaking of the word. When he gave the commandment, it wasn't just to one person or a single person. It was to all the disciples, to the church, to go out and spread the gospel, spread the good news, and bring people in. But we also have to live it. Anyway, in Exodus chapter 4, and we're going to read this, you're probably going to wonder where I'm going with it, because um, as I was restudying it, I was like, where was I going with this? Uh, but I'm going to try to make sense of it as we look at the other ones. But in Exodus chapter 4 and verse 21, of course we know the story, and this is Moses talking to Pharaoh. In verse 21, he says, The Lord said to Moses, When you get back to Egypt, Make sure that you do before Pharaoh every one of the wonders I have enabled you to do. Nevertheless, I'm going to make him hard-hearted, and he will refuse to let the people go. Then you're going to tell Pharaoh, the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. I have told you to let my son go in order to worship me. But you have refused to let him go. Well, then I will kill your firstborn son. And we know the story of Moses is the Lord told him to go talk to the people, or go talk to Pharaoh. He told him, he's not going to listen to you. But you go and tell him everything I've told you. And so the, and when I restudy this, I was thinking, where was I going with that? A lot of times I'll be studying and I'll write something down to go back later. And so I had to jog my memory. But where I was going with it is sometimes we're going to talk to people. And I'm talking from my own experience when I've given up on trying to talk to people in the past and said, well, it's just too hard. I'm just not going to talk to people at all outside the church. Well, that's the wrong way to be because people sometimes aren't going to listen. The Lord's going to tell you, you go and speak to them, you go and talk to them, but they're not going to listen. And so the message with that is don't get discouraged because eventually, turn over to Exodus, or excuse me, Ezekiel 33, eventually someone will listen. And that's the, uh, that's the ultimate goal. In my new job in recruiting, you know, we, as I've kind of started into that in the last month, it's a sales job. 
And not everyone wants to wants it. Not everyone is going to hear about it or even wants to hear about it. And those that do don't want it. But one of the things we talked about in, in recruiting, and, you know, that's what we are as ambassadors for the Lord. We're recruiters <laughs> to get people to, to be disciples for the Lord. But one of the things we talked about is quantity, you know, the volume. The more people you talk to, eventually the more people are going to hear it. You know, not everyone's going to hear it. Not everyone wants to receive it. Not everyone's looking for it, right? He says, seek and it'll be found. Knock and it'll be opened. But not everyone's knocking and not everyone's seeking. And that's one thing we have to understand as Lord's people and not get discouraged and say, well, that one didn't listen, so I'm just going to quit talking about it altogether. Talk about it among the brethren because that's easy. And quit talking about it because not everyone is looking. Not everyone's going to listen. But here's what they will know. And it's not up to us to determine that. It's up to us to plant the seed. It's God that does the, the increasing. But we have to plant the seed. If we don't plant the seed, they're sure not going to hear it. But in verse 30 of Ezekiel chapter 33, and this is after he kind of breaks down talking about if the wicked turns and does righteousness, the wickedness will be forgiven. And in the inverse, if he turns against righteousness and does wickedness, his righteousness is for, or forgotten. And then he talks about, you know, the Lord's way is fair, even though you're saying it's unfair. And in 30, verse 30, he says, Now you human being, your people are gathering and talking about you by the walls and in the doorways of houses. They're saying to each other, each one telling his brother, Come, let's go and hear the latest word coming from the Lord. So then they come to you, as people do, sit in front of you, as many people, and hear your words, but they don't act on them. For with their mouths they flatter you, but their hearts are set on their own self-interest. So for them, you're like a love song sung by someone with a nice voice who can play an instrument well. They hear your words, but they don't act on them. So when all this comes true, then at last they will realize that a prophet has been there with them. And so that's the goal. Or I say the goal. That's not the goal. We want people to hear and act, but they're going to know that a prophet's been among them. I've used this example, and he wouldn't mind me using it. Many times I had a, a good friend of mine recently that I was deployed with in my first deployment. We were roommates. And back then, that was 2007, I was able to share the word with him over the year and, and talk to him about the Lord. And in time, he came home with me. He actually lived with us for three months, which was, for our marriage, probably not the best decision, but it was what he needed at the time. Anyway, he ended up being baptized, joining the church and everything. Well, in about a year's time, some things occurred, and he ended up leaving, you know, despite my pleading with him not to, you know, no matter what you've done, you got to repent, obviously, but you still, we still need you here. Well, that was probably 10, 12 years ago. Didn't hear a word from him. Not knowing what, what seeds had been planted out of the blue last year, I'd ran it. I was a paramedic. I ran to his wife at the hospital. She works in the medical field and she, I heard a voice behind me and she said, Hey, Grant, I was like, talked to her. I said, how's Dallas doing? She goes, he's doing pretty good. Well, I, I didn't know until later after talking to him that she had gone home and said, you need to reach out to him because he had hit ro kind of rock bottom in his life. I said, you need to reach out to him. He seemed like he really cared about how you were doing. Well, I didn't know all this, but it was probably about a month after I had seen her and I got just a random Facebook message from him. and said, hey, we need to meet and talk. So I met with him, talked with him, 
and realized at what point in life he was. And as the Lord does, he kind of told me with a thought. You know, he doesn't audibly speak to us, but he gives us thoughts. He said, just tell him. And I said, you need the Lord. And he got a big smile on his face and said, I knew that was going to come up and I was hoping it would. And since then, he started coming back, visiting, visited for probably six months and he rejoined the church, was rebaptized, and, you know, he's got some things to work on, but he's trying, you know. And so you never know what seed you're going to plant. It may be a decade down the road and somebody reappears in your life that you never thought you'd ever see again or something that you said to someone that you don't know what kind of impact it had. So, and I know I took a long way to get around to the point. But the point of that is keep trying, and even if you think they aren't listening or didn't listen or even refuse it, you never know. They may change their mind down the road. But we got to keep trying. In Mark chapter 16, we're familiar with this. One of the versions or accounts in Mark's account. Mark chapter 16, verse 15, the commission he gave us. And again, this, is, this was to everyone. This wasn't just to a pastor or a preacher, whoever. This was to all of them. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. He says, Then he said to them, As you go throughout the world, proclaim the good news to all creation. Whoever trusts and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not trust will be condemned. And so we know that as he tells us in his word that the Lord judges his people, the reason for that is the world's already condemned. They're already judged. It tells us that in John chapter 3. If they don't believe, they're condemned already. That is the condemnation. The light's entered the world. People love darkness rather than light. But those that are baptized and trust in the Lord and his power, as he tells us, we must believe in his power and his might are saved. And that's the life. That's the message. It's for all of us. In Matthew chapter 28, Matthew's version of the same account, verse 18. And I'm only bringing this from my own experiences of why I didn't talk to people in the past, you know, because I felt like, well, they're not listening anyway. You know, they're not, and uh, I think it was, I always get the two confused when I'm trying to reference, but either Abraham or Moses, when they go to Abimelech, and he told Abimelech, after the Lord came to him in a dream, said, I'm going to kill you, because it, he told his wife, you know, tell him that you're my sister. And he comes, to, the Lord comes to him and says, I'm going to kill you for doing this. Then Abimelech comes to him and says, why did you do this to me? And he says, well, because I didn't think that there was any fear of God in this place, right? And so we do that a lot of times. We think, well, they don't want to know the Lord or they don't, whatever. But it's not up for us to decide. It's up to us to spread the, the word, the gospel, and if they accept it, they accept it. If they don't, they don't, right? That's the, that's the goal. But too many times we decide because it's, it's the easy path not to talk. And that's the wrong answer because he gave us the commandment. Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus came and talked with them. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make people from all nations into disciples, 
baptizing them into the reality of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And remember, I will be with you always, yes, even until the end of the age. So that was our, our commandment. That's our commission. That's our, and a commission is you've been committed to a mission. That's what that means. That's our mission. Teach all people. Not to decide who's worthy, who's unworthy, who will hear, who won't hear. That's not our job. Our job is just to preach it. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, I mentioned earlier that prophecy is simply speaking the word. We think of prophets as the ones in the Old Testament that, I don't want to use the word predict the future because the Lord would told them what to say of what would happen. As my pastor says, a good minister is only one that reminds people of what they already know. It's the same with the prophet. He's just speaking the word. If it was something more than that, why would he tell us to seek it? Because it wouldn't be able to be attained, right? The prophets in the Old Testament were appointed for specific purposes, and they had the ability to have direct conversation with God, who would tell them what to say. We don't have that. You know, he tells us things in a thought or conviction, but he doesn't audibly give us the exact words to say like he did with them. And so in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, he says, Pursue love, however, keep on eagerly seeking the things of the Spirit, and especially seek to be able to prophesy. For someone speaking in a tongue is not speaking to people but to God, because no one can understand, since he is uttering mysteries in the power of the Spirit. But someone prophesying is speaking to people, edifying, encouraging, and comforting them. And so what do we do when we speak the word to people? We're edifying them, hopefully. We're encouraging them. We're comforting them. Verse 4, a person speaking in a tongue does edify himself, but a person prophesying edifies the congregation. So again, that's, that's our job is... As members of a New Testament church, that is our job. Whether we're a pastor, a teacher, a deacon, whoever, it's everyone's job. Ephesians chapter 6. Now, did he not tell us in 1 Corinthians that whenever we come together, be ready to bring a psalm, a hymn, a spiritual song to uplift the congregation? That's, that's our job. Everyone. He tells us here in Ephesians chapter 6, and this is in our everyday life as we're because we spend the majority of our time apart from one another. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17, when he's telling us to carry the armor of God, in verse 17 he says, And take the helmet of deliverance, and then the last part of this verse is what I want to focus on, along with the sword given by the Spirit that is the Word of God. We're to have it with us always now. Does that mean take our Bible with us everywhere and, and thump it like people do? No. We're to have it here, right? And in here. So when an occasion comes up, a situation comes up, we can share the word in love with whoever we're in contact with. Another thing I've worked on over the years, to share it in love. <laughs> we beat people with it. They're sure not going to want to hear it. They already know that they're not in a good place. We just got to remind them and say, I know the only place you can turn, my brother, who's, I don't know if he's atheist or agnostic, what he is, but he's always in turmoil, mentally, 
physically, financially. And my only message to him is not, well, you dummy, you know, that's, that wouldn't go over well. He's 23, you know, thinks he got everything figured out. My message to him is, there's only one place you can find peace and tranquility, and that's with the Lord. You're not going to find it anywhere else. You're looking for it in the world. It ain't there. Those of us that have experienced the world in times in our life that have tried to fill voids with other things besides the Lord, it ain't there. There is no peace and tranquility outside of God. The only way to find it is with Him, in His Word, meditating on it, letting it transform our lives, not just be something we do. In 1 Peter Before we go there, go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In verse 5. I mentioned earlier that it's not up to us to determine who's worthy, who will hear it, but just to plant the seed because it's God that gives the increase. And he's going to say that here, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is a continuation from chapter 1 where they were claiming to follow a certain individual or a man, and Paul's message is, don't follow me or him, you follow the Lord. And he's going to tell us that here in verse 5, breaking in the thought. He says, after all, what is Apollos? What is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to trust. Indeed, it was the Lord who brought you to trust through one of us or another. I planted the seed and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. So neither the planter nor the water is anything, only God who makes, this, makes things grow. Planter and water are the same. However, each will be awarded according to his work. And so again, we find that it's God who makes it grow. And sometimes we get frustrated when we're talking to people. It's like, we're planting the seed, but where's the growth? Well, it ain't us that can grow them. It's not us that can draw them. Matter of fact, he says in his word, and I think it's John, no one can come to the Father except he draw him. It's up to the Lord and on whom he'll have mercy. Not up to us. Verse 9, he says, For we are God's co-workers, you are God's field, God's building. Using the grace God gave me, I laid a foundation like a skilled master builder. Another man is building on it, but let each one be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus the Messiah. Paul tells us in another place, he said, I preach only Christ and Him crucified. There's no other foundation than that that can be laid. We build upon that. Sometimes people try to build on something else or put their own agenda behind it, and it's not going to last. He's going to tell us that in verse 12. He says, Some will use gold, silver, or precious stones in building on this foundation. Others will use wood, grass, or straw, but each one's work will be shown for what it is. The day will disclose it, because if it, it will be revealed by fire, the fire will test the quality of each one's work. We know in other places he, t- he compares our test of faith the gold being refined by fire. It's tested each and every day. And I like how he says that. The day will disclose it. It's going to come to fruition. Whichever way it is, if it's built on a solid foundation with strong material, it's going to stand. If it's, if it's not, it's going to fall. Again, it's not. we don't have to determine it. The Lord's going to let us know. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, So back to carrying the armor of God with us, especially the sword. 
The Word of God, having it in our hearts and our minds, teaching it to our children. You know, when he told us, have it written on your, the door frames of your house, on your walls, did he literally mean go and write it on the walls? No, he meant have it here so you can recall it at all times. You know, there may come a day, we've, I'm sure y'all have talked about it here, we've talked about it other places, but there's probably going to come a time where we can't carry this written word around. They're going to take it from us. But if we study it and we know it, it's in here and here. You may not be able to quote the chapter and verse, but you know the word. A lot of times, Brother Gary and I have talked about this. We can't remember where it's at, but we remember what it says, right? That's what he's talking about. Have it there where you can just recall it. You know, we've all worked jobs, you know, that you talk about information, being able to recall information, where it's in either a file or something or on a computer now. That's what he's talking about with the word. Have it right there so you can recall it. We have ministers that remind us of it. We have the Spirit that reminds us, but it can't remind us of something we don't know. It's not going to, you know, a lot of people think when they come and join a body that the Spirit's just going to open your head up and, and pour it in. That's not how it works. It takes work to study it. And He shows us things. He shows us, you know, what it says. But we have to study. We have to put the, the effort in verse 15 of 1 Peter 3, it says, But treat the Messiah as holy, as Lord in your hearts, while remaining always ready to give a reason to answer to anyone who asks you to explain the hope you have in you, yet with humility and fear. And so we, know, we can recognize that so much more as every year passes, every day passes, as this world gets more and more corrupt, that there should be something in us that the world sees that they can't see anywhere else. That they're going to ask, like, you know, how can you be hopeful in that situation? And we, what do we do? We point to the Lord. The Lord, only with Him. Nothing that I could do. Always be ready to give that reason to answer. Verse 16, keeping your conscience clear so that when you are spoken against, those who abuse the good behavior flowing from your union with the Messiah may be put to shame. For if God has in fact willed that you should suffer, it is better that you suffer for doing what is good than doing for doing what is evil. So, again, you know, our words, our actions have to back up our words. We have to have a clear conscience that those around us know that what we're saying, we're living, we're acting. You know, where we looked at in Ezekiel 33, that's what he's saying. We don't be the ones that hear the word and don't act on it. We have to act. Must, our faith must produce actions. We don't work for salvation. We work because of it. The Lord did it for us, so we give our, our uh, gratitude back to Him and our sacrifices through our life. He tells us in Romans chapter 12 that our bodies are a sacrifice, a living sacrifice for Him. That that's our temple service. In 1 Peter three or 2 and 9, just to reiterate the point that we are all prophets. Here he's going to use the word priest. You can use prophet, priest, minister, any one of those. In verse 9 he says, But you are a chosen people, the king's priest. Who's he talking to? Go back to hold your hand here. We're coming back. Chapter 1, verse 1. From Peter, an apostle of Jesus the Messiah, to God's chosen people, living as aliens in the diaspora, and that was the separation. In Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, the province of Asia, 
in Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, set apart by the Spirit for obeying Jesus the Messiah and for sprinkling with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in full measure. So that's who he's talking to here. God's chosen people, a priest, king's priest, holy nation, people for God to possess. Why? In order for you to declare the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So once again, that's our, that's our mission. That's our commandment. That's why he's chosen us and set us apart to declare the praises of the one who called us out of darkness into the wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Before you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Verse 11, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and temporary residents not to give in to the desires of your old nature, which keep warring against you, but to live such good lives among the pagans, that even though they now speak against you as evildoers, they will, as a result of seeing your good actions, give glory to God on the day of his coming. So once again, it's backing up chapter 3. Giving the reason answer. Having a clear conscience so that when you're spoken against, <laughs> they're put to shame because there's nothing to say. Other places he says above reproach. In Hebrews chapter 13 is where I like to close. Hebrews chapter 13. So why do we do it? You know, it's, we might think it's too hard or maybe the Lord has asked too much for us or from us or you know, maybe that's brother so-and-so's job. Well, it's not. It's all of our job. You know, too many times we try to not do what the Lord's telling us to do because we feel like someone else is going to take care of it. Well, they may not. You may be whoever's only chance of ever hearing the word. I know for myself, I'm talking about for myself in the past when I wouldn't speak or, or tell someone about the Lord. I don't want to be standing before the Lord being the only chance they had to hear it and I didn't do what I was asked to do. It's not a good position to be in. And so thinking back, putting it back on Christ, which is what the writer of Hebrews is going to do here, it's not too much that he's asked us to do for him. In verse 11, he says, For the high priest brings the blood of animals into the holiest place as a sin offering, but their bodies are burned outside the camp. So too Jesus suffered death outside the camp, or the gate, excuse me, in order to make the people holy through his own blood. Verse 13 is where I want to focus. Therefore, let us go out to him who is outside the camp and share in his disgrace. For we have no permanent city here. On the contrary, we seek the one to come. Through him, therefore, let us offer God a sacrifice of praise continually. For this is the natural product of lips that acknowledge his name. But don't forget doing good and sharing with others, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. So, again, I'm talking about myself. You know, going outside the camp and sharing in his disgrace, well, he tells us in chapter, I think it's 11, no, 12, that you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in the contest against sin. So what's the worst disgrace that we share in Christ now, especially in the United States of America? Somebody might not talk to us. <laughs> or might think we're weird. I'm talking about for me. And the Lord's convicted me on it. Because that's been my hang up with it before is, you know, I, well, so and so might not talk to me, or they may not eat lunch with me, or, you know, they might, whatever. But 
we're commanded to do it. And the only way our churches are going to grow, yes, through you know marriage and having children and things like that and working on ourselves, but it's also got to come through bringing people in. Otherwise, you know, we know of a lot of churches that don't exist anymore because they just got down to nothing and then they're gone. So I hope this is encouraging to you. Um, like I said, it's just something that's been on my heart. I know we've seen it in a lot of places. So um, anyway, I pray for you all and um, I appreciate you having me out for the time. It does show dedication when you're here. We know those that aren't here this evening because there can't be, literally, physically. So, anyway, thank you. If you would, turn over to Exodus chapter 4. trying to think of how to best say this without offending because that's the last thing I want to do but it's something that's been on my heart a lot lately and I think it's probably on everyone's heart and I'm not just saying this because this particular body is small in number but most of the churches we know are small in number and we see them dwindling and so what's been on my heart a lot lately is how do we change that well, first, obviously, we got to change us, whatever church you're a part of, whatever church you're trying to lead, as myself and Brother Tyler's case. But it also means we have to open our mouth to those we're around. You know, contrary to popular belief, it's not the pastor's job to bring people in. It is his job in the sense that he's a member of the church, just like each and every one of you. But it's everyone's job. We're all ministers. There is one pastor, but as we're going to look at some scriptures, everyone is a member of the Lord's body is a minister. They're a prophet. Prophecy is the speaking of the word. When he gave the commandment, it wasn't just to one person or a single person. It was to all the disciples, to the church, to go out and spread the gospel, spread the good news, and bring people in. But we also have to live it. Anyway, in Exodus chapter 4, and we're going to read this, you're probably going to wonder where I'm going with it, because um, as I was restudying it, I was like, where was I going with this? Uh, but I'm going to try to make sense of it as we look at the other ones. But in Exodus chapter 4 and verse 21, of course we know the story, and this is Moses talking to Pharaoh. In verse 21, he says, The Lord said to Moses, When you get back to Egypt, Make sure that you do before Pharaoh every one of the wonders I have enabled you to do. Nevertheless, I'm going to make him hard-hearted, and he will refuse to let the people go. Then you're going to tell Pharaoh, the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. I have told you to let my son go in order to worship me. But you have refused to let him go. Well, then I will kill your firstborn son. And we know the story of Moses is the Lord told him to go talk to the people, or go talk to Pharaoh. He told him, he's not going to listen to you. But you go and tell him everything I've told you. And so the, and when I restudied this, I was thinking, where was I going with that? 
a lot of times I'll be studying and I'll write something down to go back later. And so I had to jog my memory. But where I was going with it is sometimes we're going to talk to people. And I'm talking from my own experience when I've given up on trying to talk to people in the past and said, well, it's just too hard. I'm just not going to talk to people at all outside the church. Well, that's the wrong way to be because people sometimes aren't going to listen. (laughs) The Lord's going to tell you, you go and speak to them, you go and talk to them, but they're not going to listen. And so the message with that is don't get discouraged because eventually, turn over to Ezekiel 33, eventually someone will listen. And that's uh, that's the ultimate goal. My new job in recruiting, you know, we, as I've kind of started into that in the last month, it's a sales job. And not everyone wants to, wants it. Not everyone is going to hear about it or even wants to hear about it. And those that do don't want it. But one of the things we talked about in, in recruiting, and, you know, that's what we are as ambassadors for the Lord. We're recruiters <laughs> to get people to, to be disciples for the Lord. But one of the things we talked about is quantity, you know, volume. The more people you talk to, eventually, the more people are going to hear it. You know, not everyone's going to hear it. Not everyone wants to receive it. Not everyone's looking for it, right? He says, seek and it'll be found. Knock and it'll be open. But not everyone's knocking and not everyone's seeking. And that's one thing we have to understand as Lord's people and not get discouraged and say, well, that one didn't listen, so I'm just going to quit talking about it altogether. Talk about it among the brethren because that's easy. And quit talking about it because not everyone is looking. Not everyone's going to listen. But here's what they will know. And it's not up to us to determine that. It's up to us to plant the seed. It's God that does the, the increasing. But we have to plant the seed. If we don't plant the seed, they're sure not going to hear it. But in verse 30 of Ezekiel chapter 33, and this is after he kind of breaks down talking about if the wicked turns and does righteousness, the wickedness will be forgiven. And in the inverse, if he turns against righteousness and does wickedness, his righteousness is for, or forgotten. And then he talks about, you know, the Lord's way is fair, even though you're saying it's unfair. And in 30, verse 30, he says, Now you human being, your people are gathering and talking about you by the walls and in the doorways of houses. They're saying to each other, each one telling his brother, Come, let's go and hear the latest word coming from the Lord. So then they come to you, as people do, sit in front of you, as many people, and hear your words, but they don't act on them. For with their mouths they flatter you, but their hearts are set on their own self-interest. So for them you are like a love song, sung by someone with a nice voice who can play an instrument well. They hear your words, but they don't act on them. So when all this comes true, then at last they will realize that a prophet has been there with them. And so that's the goal. Or I say the goal, that's not the goal. We want people to hear and act, but... They're going to know that a prophet's been among them. I've used this example, and he wouldn't mind me using it. Many times I had a a good friend of mine recently that I was deployed with in my first deployment. We were roommates. And back then, that was 2007, I was able to share the word with him over the year and, and talk to him about the Lord. And in time, he came home with me. He actually lived with us for three months, which was, for our marriage, probably not the best decision, but... It was what he needed at the time. Anyway, he ended up being baptized, joining the church and everything. Well, in about a year's time, some things occurred and he ended up leaving, you know, despite my pleading with him not to. You know, no matter what you've done, you've got to repent, obviously, but 
you still, we still need you here. Well, that was probably 10, 12 years ago. Didn't hear a word from him. Not knowing what, what seeds had been planted, out of the blue last year, I'd ran it, I was a paramedic, I ran to his wife at the hospital, she works in the medical field, and she, I heard a voice behind me, and she said, hey, Grant, I was like, talked to her, I said, how's Dallas doing? She goes, he's doing pretty good. Well, I, I didn't know until later after talking to him that she had gone home and said, you need to reach out to him, because he had hit kind of rock bottom in his life, and said, you need to reach out to him, he seemed like he really cared about how you were doing. Well, I didn't know all this, but it was probably about a month after I had seen her, and I got just a random Facebook message from him and said, hey, we need to meet and talk. And so I met with him, talked with him, and realized at what point in life he was, and as the Lord does, he kind of told me with a thought, you know, he doesn't audibly speak to us, but he gives us thoughts. He said, just tell him. And I said, you need the Lord. And he got a big smile on his face and said, I knew that was going to come up and I was hoping it would. And since then, he started coming back, visiting, visited for probably six months and he rejoined the church, was rebaptized, and, you know, he's got some things to work on, but he's trying, you know. And so you never know what seed you're going to plant. It may be a decade down the road and somebody reappears in your life that you never thought you'd ever see again or something that you said to someone that you don't know what kind of impact it had. So... And I know I took a long way to get around to the point. But the point of that is, keep trying. And even if you think they aren't listening or didn't listen, or even refuse it, you never know. They may change their mind down the road. But we got to keep trying. In Mark chapter 16, we're familiar with this. One of the versions, or accounts in Mark's account. Mark chapter 16, verse 15, the commission he gave us. And again, this, is, this was to everyone. This wasn't just to a pastor or a preacher, whoever. This was to all of them. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. He says, Then he said to them, As you go throughout the world, proclaim the good news to all creation. Whoever trusts and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not trust will be condemned. And so we know that, as he tells us in his word, that the Lord judges his people. The reason for that is the world's already condemned. They're already judged. It tells us that in John chapter 3. If they don't believe, they're condemned already. That is the condemnation. The lights entered the world. People love darkness rather than light. But those that are baptized and trust in the Lord and his power, as he tells us, we must believe in his power and his might are saved. And that's the life. That's the message. It's for all of us. In Matthew chapter 28, Matthew's version of the same account, verse 18. And I'm only bringing this from my own experiences of why I didn't talk to people in the past, you know, because I felt like, well, they're not listening anyway. You know, they're not, and uh, I think it was, I always get the two confused when I'm trying to reference, but either Abraham or Moses, when they go to Abimelech, and he told Abimelech, after the Lord came to him in a dream, said, I'm going to kill you, 
Because he told his wife, you know, tell him that you're my sister. And he comes, the Lord comes to him and says, I'm going to kill you for doing this. And Abimelech comes to him and says, why did you do this to me? And he says, well, because I didn't think that there was any fear of God in this place, right? And so we do that a lot of times. We think, well, they don't want to know the Lord or they don't, whatever. But it's not up for us to decide. It's up to us to spread the, the word, the gospel, and if they accept it, they accept it. If they don't, they don't. Right? That's the that's the goal. But too many times we decide because it's it's the easy path not to talk. And that's the wrong answer because he gave us the commandment in Matthew twenty eight, verse eighteen. Jesus came and talked with them. He said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make people from all nations into disciples, baptizing them into the reality of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And remember, I will be with you always. Yes, even until the end of the age. So that was our, our commandment. That's our commission. That's our, and a commission is you've been committed to a mission. That's what that means. That's our mission. Teach all people not to decide who's worthy, who's unworthy, who will hear, who won't hear. That's not our job. Our job is just to preach it. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1, I mentioned earlier that prophecy is simply speaking the word. We think of prophets as the ones in the Old Testament that, I don't want to use the word predict the future because the Lord would told him what to say of what would happen. But as my pastor says, a good minister is only one that reminds people of what they already know. It's the same with the prophet. He's just speaking the word. If it was something more than that, why would he tell us to seek it? Because it wouldn't be able to be attained, right? The prophets in the Old Testament were appointed for specific purposes and they have the ability to have direct conversation with God who would tell them what to say. We don't have that. You know, he tells us things in a thought or conviction, but he doesn't audibly give us the exact words to say like he did with them. And so in 1 Corinthians 14 and 1, he says, Pursue love, however, keep on eagerly seeking the things of the Spirit, and especially seek to be able to prophesy. For someone speaking in a tongue is not speaking to people but to God, because no one can understand, since he is uttering mysteries in the power of the Spirit. But someone prophesying is speaking to people, edifying, encouraging, and comforting them. And so what do we do when we speak the word to people? We're edifying them, hopefully. We're encouraging them. We're comforting them. Verse 4, a person speaking in a tongue does edify himself, but a person prophesying edifies the congregation. So again, that's, that's our job. As, as members of a New Testament church, that is our job. Whether we're a pastor, a teacher, a deacon, whoever, it's everyone's job. Ephesians chapter 6 did he not tell us in 1 Corinthians that whenever we come together, be ready to bring a psalm, a hymn, a spiritual song to uplift the congregation? That's, that's our job. Everyone. He tells us here in Ephesians chapter 6, and this is in our everyday life because we spend the majority of our time apart from one another. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17, 
when he's telling us to carry the armor of God, in verse 17 he says, and take the helmet of deliverance, and then the last part of this verse is what I want to focus on, along with the sword given by the Spirit that is the Word of God. We have it with us always now. Does that mean take our Bible with us everywhere and, and thump it like people do? No. We're to have it here, right? And in here. So when an occasion comes up, a situation comes up, we can share the word in love with whoever we're in contact with. Another thing I've worked on over the years, to share it in love. <laughs> if we beat people with it, they're sure not going to want to hear it. They already know that they're not in a good place. We just got to remind them and say... I know the only place you can turn, my brother, who's, I don't know if he's atheist or agnostic, what he is, but he's always in turmoil, mentally, physically, financially. And my only message to him is not, well, you dummy, you know, that's, that wouldn't go over well. He's 23, you know, thinks he got everything figured out. My message to him is, there's only one place you can find peace. And tranquility, and that's with the Lord. You're not going to find it anywhere else. You're looking for it in the world. It ain't there. Those of us that have experienced the world in times in our life that have tried to fill voids with other things besides the Lord, it ain't there. There is no peace and tranquility outside of God. The only way to find it is with Him, in His Word, meditating on it, letting it transform our lives not just be something we do. In 1 Peter, well, before we go there, go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In verse 5, you know, I mentioned earlier that it's not up to us to determine who's worthy who will hear it, but just to plant the seed because it's God that gives the increase. And he's going to say that here, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and this is a continuation from chapter 1 where they were claiming to follow a certain individual or a man and Paul's message is, don't follow me or him, you follow the Lord. And he's going to tell us that here in verse 5, breaking in the thought, he says, after all, what is Apollos? What is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to trust. Indeed, it was the Lord who brought you to trust through one of us or another. I planted the seed and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. So neither the planter nor the water is anything, only God who makes, this, makes things grow. Planter and water are the same, however each will be awarded according to his work. And so again, we find that it's God who makes it grow, and sometimes we get frustrated when we're talking to people, it's like, we're planting the seed, but where's the growth? Well, it ain't us that can grow them. It's not us that can draw them. Matter of fact, he says in his word, and I think it's John, no one can come to the Father except He draw Him. It's up to the Lord and on whom He'll have mercy. It's not up to us. Verse 9, He says, For we are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. Using the grace God gave me, I laid a foundation like a skilled master builder. Another man is building on it, but let each one be careful how he builds. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus the Messiah. Paul tells us in another place, he said, I preach only Christ and Him crucified. There's no other foundation than that that can be laid. We build upon that. And sometimes people try to build on something else or put their own agenda behind it, and it's not going to last. 
he's going to tell us that in verse 12. He says, Some will use gold, silver, or precious stones in building on this foundation. Others will use wood, grass, or straw, but each one's work will be shown for what it is. The day will disclose it, because if it, it will be revealed by fire, the fire will test the quality of each one's work. We know in other places he, t he compares our test of faith to gold being refined by fire. It's tested each and every day. And I like how he says that. The day will disclose it. It's going to come to fruition. Whichever way it is, if it's built on a solid foundation with strong material, it's going to stand. If it's, if it's not, it's going to fall. Again, it's not, we don't have to determine it. The Lord's going to let us know. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, So back to carrying the armor of God with us, especially the sword, the Word of God, having it in our hearts and our minds, teaching it to our children. You know, when he told us, have it written on your, the door frames of your house, on your walls, did he literally mean go and write it on the walls? No, he meant have it here so you can recall it at all times. You know, there may come a day, we've, I'm sure y'all have talked about it here, we've talked about it other places, but there's probably going to come a time where we can't carry this written word around. They're going to take it from us. But if we study it and we know it, it's in here and here. You may not be able to quote the chapter and verse, but you know the word. A lot of times, Brother Gary and I have talked about this. We can't remember where it's at, but we remember what it says, right? That's what he's talking about. Have it there where you can just recall it. You know, we've all worked jobs. You know, you talk about information, being able to recall information where it's in either a file or something or on a computer now. That's what he's talking about with the Word. Have it right there so you can recall it. And we have ministers that remind us of it. We have the Spirit that reminds us, but it can't remind us of something we don't know. It's not going to... You know, A lot of people think when they come and join a body that the Spirit's just going to open your head up and, and pour it in. That's not how it works. It takes work to study it. And he shows us things. He shows us, you know, what it says, but we have to study. We have to put the, the effort. In verse 15 of 1 Peter 3, it says, But treat the Messiah as holy, as Lord in your hearts, while remaining always ready to give a reason to answer to anyone who asks you to explain the hope you have in you, yet with humility and fear. And so we, know, we can recognize that so much more as every year passes, every day passes, as this world gets more and more corrupt, that there should be something in us that the world sees that they can't see anywhere else. That they're going to ask, like, you know, how can you be hopeful in that situation? And we, what do we do? We point to the Lord. The Lord, only with Him. Nothing that I could do. Always be ready to give that reason to answer. Verse 16, keeping your conscience clear so that when you are spoken against, those who abuse the good behavior flowing from your union with the Messiah may be put to shame. For if God has in fact willed that you should suffer, it is better that you suffer for doing what is good than doing for doing what is evil. So again, you know, our words, our actions have to back up our words. We have to have a clear conscience that those around us know that what we're saying, we're living, we're acting. You know, where we looked at in Ezekiel 33, that's what he's saying. We don't be the ones that hear the word and don't act on it. We have to act. Must, our faith must produce actions. We don't work for salvation. We work because of it. 
the Lord did it for us, so we give our, our uh, gratitude back to Him and our sacrifices through our life. He tells us in Romans chapter 12 that our bodies are a sacrifice, a living sacrifice for Him, that that's our temple service. First Peter three or two and nine. Just to reiterate the point that we are all prophets. Here he's going to use the word priest. You can use prophet, priest, minister, any one of those. In verse nine he says, "But you are a chosen people, the king's priests." Who's he talking to? Go back to hold your hand here. We're coming back. Chapter one, verse one. From Peter, an apostle of Jesus the Messiah, to God's chosen people, living as aliens in the diaspora, and that was the separation, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, the province of Asia, and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, set apart by the Spirit for obeying Jesus the Messiah, and for sprinkling with His blood, grace and peace be yours in full measure. So that's who he's talking to here. God's chosen people, a priest, king's priest, holy nation, People for God to possess. Why? In order for you to declare the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So once again, that's our, that's our mission. That's our commandment. That's why he's chosen us and set us apart. To declare the praises of the one who called us out of darkness into the wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Before you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Verse 11, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and temporary residents not to give in to the desires of your old nature, which keep warring against you, but to live such good lives among the pagans, that even though they now speak against you as evildoers, they will, as a result of seeing your good actions, give glory to God on the day of His coming. So once again, it's backing up chapter 3. Giving the reason answer. Having a clear conscience so that when you're spoken against, <laughs> they're put to shame because there's nothing to say. Other places he says above reproach. In Hebrews chapter 13 is where I like to close. Hebrews chapter 13. So why do we do it? You know, it's, we might think it's too hard or maybe the Lord has asked too much for us or from us or you know, maybe that's brother so-and-so's job. Well, it's not. It's all of our job. You know, too many times we try to not do what the Lord's telling us to do because we feel like someone else is going to take care of it. Well, they may not. You may be whoever's only chance of ever hearing the word. I know for myself, I'm talking about for myself in the past when I wouldn't speak or, or tell someone about the Lord. I don't want to be standing before the Lord being the only chance they had to hear it, and I didn't do what I was asked to do. It's not a good position to be in. And so thinking back, putting it back on Christ, which is what the writer of Hebrews is going to do here, it's not too much that he's asked us to do for him. In verse 11, he says, For the high priest brings the blood of animals into the holiest place as a sin offering, but their bodies are burned outside the camp. So too Jesus suffered death outside the camp, or the gate, excuse me, in order to make the people holy through his own blood. Verse 13 is where I want to focus. Therefore, let us go out to him who is outside the camp and share in his disgrace. 
For we have no permanent city here. On the contrary, we seek the one to come. Through him, therefore, let us offer God a sacrifice of praise continually. For this is the natural product of lips that acknowledge his name. But don't forget doing good and sharing with others, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. So, again, I'm talking about myself. You know, going outside the camp and sharing his disgrace, well, he tells us in chapter, I think it's 11, no, 12, that you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in the contest against sin. So what's the worst disgrace that we share in Christ now, especially in the United States of America? Somebody might not talk to us. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> might think we're weird. I'm talking about for me. And the Lord's convicted me on it. Because that's been my hang-up with it before. Is you know, I, Well, so-and-so might not talk to me. Or they might not eat lunch with me. Or you know, they might... Whatever. But we're commanded to do it. And the only way our churches are going to grow, yes, through you know marriage and having children and things like that and working on ourselves, but... It's also got to come through bringing people in. Otherwise, you know, we know of a lot of churches that don't exist anymore because they just got down to nothing and then they're gone. So I hope this is encouraging to you. Um, Like I said, it's just something that's been on my heart. I know we've seen it a lot of places. So um, anyway, I pray for you all. And... um, I appreciate you having me out. Brother Tyler.